Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zipline through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means and Nathan Baird coming off of Ohio State's season opening win over Indiana 23-3. Nathan, uh, first and foremost, this is Monday. I don't know if we're going to actually call this Monday Madness another half. That maybe I'll have a decision on that at the end of this pod or not. But I know what we're doing. <laughs> the time we're what, done. <laughs> yeah. I know what we're doing on it, and that's what matters the most. I don't, I don't have to have it. I'm like Brian Day. I don't have to name a starting quarterback, but I know what I'm going to do on Saturday with my starting quarterback until my offensive line decides that I can't do that anymore. But we'll get into that. So we're going to break up the game. We're going to use this Monday pod every week to talk about the game. Nathan and I are going to go home. We're going to rewatch it, and then we're going to talk about it. And we're going to split it up into th- – Three segments every single week, really four, but three se- main segments of we're going to talk about quarterback play, we're going to talk about offensive play, we're going to talk about defensive play, and then at the end of each week, that fourth segment, in a very short way, we're going to answer the question, do we think that this team looks like a college football playoff caliber team? And that will evolve throughout the season. There will be weeks where it's emphatically no. There will be weeks where it's emphatically yes. And so we'll see where it is on that scale when we get to the end of this pod. But we're going to start with the quarterback. Nathan, I gave Kyle McCord a C immediately after the game when we graded. You gave him, I believe, a B- minus or a C plus. I can't remember which one it was. I, I decided on a C plus. Okay. After watching Kyle McCord, 20 of 33 passing, he didn't have any touchdowns, but he did have 239 yards. Did that grade change? Because I think it changed for me a little bit. Well, like I said uh, at the time, I was really on that fence between C plus B minus. I could be talked into a, a B minus after the rewatch. I, one of the things that did jump out at me, like you look at the stats sometimes, and 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 make some 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 judgments off of that. If you add on the twenty four yard touchdown to Marvin Harrison Jr., where he did nothing wrong, like mm-hmm. McCord did everything he was supposed to do and made a nice throw yeah. there. McCord, or Harrison stepped out. Um, so that's another completion in 24 yards and a touchdown. And mm-hmm. if you give him the yardage on, which was about 39, 40 yards in the air, 
on the play where Marvin Harrison Jr. drew the pass interference penalty. Put those two things together right there. Now you're talking about 60 more yards. Now you're talking about a 300-yard passing game. And how different are people mm-hmm. looking at this game? Now, I'm, there's you can, you can make other ways to say, well, okay, but if this happens, then other things are worse. And I understand that. But just those two plays where he did the right thing, if the stats get counted differently, I think we're talking about things very differently. And then even the thing, I did think from the rewatch, the most overblown thing that happened Saturday was this idea that like Kamakord laid Marvin Harrison Jr. out to die on that throw to the sideline, which I think people were saying yeah. at the time. And I'm like, uh, and in, in real time, I didn't get the best look at that on rewatch. He clearly got drilled as he threw the ball and still hit Marvin Harrison Jr. in the hands. So I thought that was maybe the most overblown thing from just uh, if, if you're giving a overblown social media award of the day, I thought that was probably high on the list. So I would still say in that B minus C plus range, though, because I still saw a handful of plays where I thought he either there were a couple of things he did that I think he's got to clean up, says the guy who never played Division one quarterback. There were definitely some times where I thought he telegraphed things. And mm-hmm. there was a there was a pass to Mecca Buka early in the game where I thought his eyes were just glued to him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe again, perspective is so important here. He may, if you were to sit here, if you were sitting here, he's not. He's off, you know, doing um, important things to try to get better at football. If you were sitting here, he would probably be able to take me on the play and say, like, well, actually, there were three levels of that route were happening that all happened to be on that side of the field. So my eyes were moving, even though my head wasn't whatever. It just, there were, that was one example of others where I thought maybe he telegraphed things a little bit too much. And Indiana was able to capitalize it on a little bit. The team with even better defensive backs will capitalize on it even more. That's something he's got to clean up. And then just some recognition things. There was a, a play where he threw in the double coverage for Ibuka at one point. And I think both Fleming and Harrison would have been open and and uh, pretty obviously open. Uh, there were a couple other plays where I thought he just that he wasn't recognizing. And and again, first start of the year, first start for him in two years, rust, jitters, all those things. I try to give people some sliver benefit of the doubt for those things. So I still would put him in that range because I think it was not the catastrophe that some people are making it out to be, but I also think it's below the standard of what Ohio State wants from its quarterback play, but also probably what it thinks, what Ryan Day thinks how McCord can be eventually if this keeps progressing. Marvin Harrison had eight targets. He should have had 12. C.J. Stroud, what made him special was the ball placement, but then Ryan Day said it after, I think, the Maryland game in 21. He said he sees the field. He sees it. So while Justin Fields, it maybe took him a year to get to a point where when Ryan Day makes a play call, he knows why it's being called, and you get the Clemson game where he's just taking the shot to Chris Olave. C.J. Stroud knew that on day one. Now, there were times where it got him in trouble. Like I mean, last year there were times where it got him in trouble because he was so hell-bent on getting that downfield. But a lot of the times, man, if a wide receiver gets over top of the safety, C.J.'s tossing it. Kyle McCord didn't do the same things here. There were a lot of times where he made a good read. It just wasn't the best read. And you brought up the Emeka Buka third down, where it's, that's also just time and, and down and distance. You probably should go a little further down the field in that situation instead of staying with the safe option, which Emeka Buka is the safe option there. But there's a touchdown down the field because Marvin Harrison Jr. got behind the wide receivers. 
I thought he did it at times, though, because we were having this conversation in the press box when it happened, the throw to Julian Fleming, where I think Julian just kind of lost it in the air. I thought that was the right decision. I thought it was yeah, good yeah, yeah. touch. I thought it was good. Yeah. So he did it at times. It just wasn't consistently there. And how much of that is comfort, right? It's your first real game against a – do we see that grow as the, as the season goes on? Because I'm pretty sure he'll look at that film and go, oh, shoot, I had Marvin deep here. Oh, shoot, I had Julian Fleming deep here. But at the same time, he had a throw over the middle to Julian Fleming. I thought that was – he actually had a stretch where – let me pull it up here. Where I thought – so it's second and nine, and he's in the shotgun, and that's when he throws the, the pass over the middle to Julian Fleming, which I think was one of the best throws he had that day. And then the next play is the pass interference to Marvin Harrison Jr. But the thing that I the announcers pointed this out, when he threw that ball to Julian Fleming the play before, Marvin Harrison was actually deep and had one. And so there's a touchdown there, and the announcers even pointed out there. And then the next play, when they go to Marvin Harrison Jr. and he draws the defensive pass interference, <laughs> the announcers are like, I'm pretty sure somebody rung down the Ryan Day. Some Somebody from upstairs said to Ryan Day, hey, Marvin Harrison's winning, and these DBs are squatting. So we probably need to go to him because that was the exact play call was go ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., and at worst you get what we saw in that situation, a defensive pass interference. And then he follows that up with they go no huddle, and he goes over the middle again to Julian Fleming again. It It was there. It just wasn't consistent. And that's why for me – my grade went up to a C plus because that's stuff that just gets better with time after you see it on film, which is why I think Ryan Day was so hell-bent on getting these guys the games because you probably weren't going to get that when you're going against the same defensive scheme all the time. Indiana came with you, came at you with a totally different thing than what Kyle McCord has been going up against really for two years now as a backup. So this got him an opportunity to see it against somebody else and see what opens up when you're going against an Indiana defense or just anybody else's defense other than Jim Knowles's. And as I said to the texters too, I think this will be a, to, to, to hold Ryan day to one of his cliches, you know, it's about taking the meeting to the field, taking the film steady to the field. Mm -hmm. So this is like the next thing for comic court is like, you, there's definitely things to take away from the film in a game like this. How do you then implement it the next time you go out on the field? And I do, though, also, all these things are true, and I think Comicord will be better. If, if, you were to, if you were to go out and play Indiana again next week, I would definitely give Comicord the edge over Indiana. I think he would be in position to, to cook something up against them and do something. And at the same time, I think that's why they wanted to get Devin Brown some real time in a game because mm -hmm. you want to see what he looks like in a game. You want to give him the same chance to maybe build off of the film. So I don't want to completely rehash that argument. I'm sure we will have it, not not argument, you and I aren't arguing about it, but the discussion about mm -hmm. where things are with this quarterback situation. And we'll have ample time to discuss that, I'm sure, in the week ahead and probably definitely going into coming out of Youngstown State because I think we'll probably see some different usage. but. I, I couldn't help but think about that too, as I was thinking, Oh, this is really going to help comic Cord. Like he'll see these things on film and he'll know that he can do this and that next time. Uh, but I also think that would have been true of, of Devin Brown. If he had had more opportunity, I also thought I was looking at the interception play, which I, I was really surprised the way that they described it on the broadcast too. Like, Oh, he really mm -hmm. made a mistake there. And I'm like, it's fourth down. Like what I, yeah. I, he was supposed to just throw the ball out of bounds. Like what was he supposed to do? Like he took a shot. Um, it, 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 Ryan Day's right. If it gets returned all the way back, it's it's a disaster. But uh, the 
you know, I know that's not a high percentage of, of that happening. So I think you take your shot there. But I did, I did think because even when Trainum fell down, you had both Cade Stover and Joe Royer at like at different levels still rolling, still still running routes on that play. And that's who he was trying to force it into. And I'm like, is there a point later in the year where if you have one starting quarterback and he is building a rapport with players, is there that that sort of um, un, non-verbal, like almost not mm-hmm. even like just a nod of the head, somebody knows that they have to break off their route because maybe they didn't see Chip Tranum get knocked down. Maybe they don't know that things are hot mm-hmm. right there and you've got to make a, a change. So there's just so many little nuances that can develop with this offense still. And if you're going to be optimistic after about the offense after a game like that, it's that there, if you clean up just a few of these things, what do you got here? You've got still just this monster offense, but they do have to be cleaned up. They absolutely have to be cleaned up. And, and, uh, some of it is offensive line play, but I would also say quarterback play has to be sharper. I think Kyle McCord would also say that. And he essentially did say that when I was standing face to face with him after the game. And, and so were other people. So I, I, I sent this to Nathan. We're going to do best thing. Kyle McCord did worst thing. Kyle McCord did. And it's something that maybe flashed what he might, what might be his special trait. I'll let's start with worst. Just so, you know, we can get that part out of the way. So we can end more on a positive note, Kyle McCord, because I thought he was pretty decent. I thought two things were just like, mm, that was bad. The QB power that they ran in the red zone, man, that, that hole's there. He just goes left when he should have went right. Because Chip Trainum does exactly what he's supposed to do. He takes the linebacker out. So there's nobody. It's not even a foot race. It's just walk through the hole and you score a touchdown. I think that might be actually my pick for the worst thing he did. And it's, and it's not a passing play, but it, yeah. that was a touchdown. That was the one thing yeah. that you could say he did that took a touchdown off the board. And and I think there were probably some times today where the people who thought that Kyle McCord was some sort of statue in the pocket or something compared to Devin Brown, I think he dispelled those notions a little bit. He had a mm-hmm. little bit of wiggle on a couple of runs. I mean, short runs. I'm not saying he got out there and, and Justin Fields or, or Michael Vicked anybody on Saturday. Certainly not saying that. But he showed he's willing to scramble when it's there and, and can and can do it well. And even like didn't even take the slide there on that one early. He, like, kept his yeah. head up and 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 I don't know how Ryan Day felt about that. And then also like made some off platform plays, like got outside and had to throw off balance and make completions that were tougher. Obviously, the one that Chip trained him late in the game was the one that got the most notice. There was another one I can't remember who he threw back. It might have been Ibuka that came back and made a catch, or maybe it was Fleming. I can't remember on on the other sideline earlier in the game, but I thought you saw him be more with his legs than what you often saw CJ Stroud being last year. So there was that improvement that we were expecting to see from whichever quarterback played. But I think that would probably be my pick for if I had to like the worst thing he did, it was have a touchdown in front of him and choose not to run for the touchdown and choose to run the other way. Just, I'm sure that I wonder how that, that even, you know, in film, like it's getting critiqued and and how much do they sort of almost laugh at, at something like that because it was just so obvious uh but still has has to be fixed because they want to use that they they're going to use him there like mm-hmm. CJ Stroud wasn't for the first 24 games of his Ohio State starting career CJ Stroud wasn't running that keeper so that is a yeah. new wrinkle they want Kyle McCord to be able to do that he can do that but he's got to make the right read especially if it's just a walk in touchdown I don't even think you say anything. I think you just put it up there. I think you just put the picture, the still picture of the hole up there, and then you look at Kyle McCord for like 20 seconds, 
and then you just move on with everything else in the day because that's it's it's very obvious is once you see it and, and in the moment maybe it wasn't that obvious to him but it's very obvious so it's that and then marvin harrison probably had three touchdowns in this game if just the throw is better it's okay yeah the one where he steps out of bound that is the touchdown for sure there's the one where marvin is running a crossing route but the announcers even said that i don't they didn't think that marvin think he was going to get the ball there so maybe he wasn't as ready I thought yeah. the ball was low and behind him when it should have been high and out in front of him. He's 6'4". He's 6'4". He's 6'4". And then the fade route that everybody sure. knew they were getting ready to run, it's just low. It's it's low. And it's and we talked about it with CJ where he used to be maybe he would sail on some of those. Kyle McCord is just low on a lot of those situations. And so let Marvin Harrison be freaky. I think we so, overplayed the the two played together for three for three years in high school, and maybe that that chemistry will really will translate to college. But also, it's been three years since they've routinely been getting reps together, so maybe we overplayed that. But there, his his ball placement isn't CJ Stroud level, just like CJ Stroud's running level wasn't Justin Fields level. So we're gonna have to adjust maybe our view of that until it gets to a point where it's something that is more reliable. Yeah, there's definitely some calibration that's going on here right now. Just mm-hmm. as you, just as you said that there was with with Stroud. I actually think so he was yeah, two completions to Harrison on eight targets. I think it should have been seven targets. I don't think that throw should have gone to Harrison. I think the the one you're talking about the the front of the end zone throw that was low and behind mm-hmm. him. Uh even though yes, throwing it high and and away would have been better even if it didn't make it more catchable but it would have been less interceptable because it was definitely a, a dangerous throw the way it was but i would have gone back over the either i would have taken either of the two tight end options there i think he throwed it mm. joe royer over the middle who had a step it looked like on the guy that um was, was covering him or kate so was completely uncovered underneath you could have just gone to him mm. and, and gotten easy yards and i know that there's people out there who you know it's the fine line between like when are you taking your shot when are you taking the easy thing the safe thing and uh, he's figuring that out. He doesn't have an indefinite amount of time to figure it out, but he's figuring it out. This is just part of the process. Like you've got a game's worth of of real data that you just went up against real defense, um, a defense that, especially when I watched it on rewatch, was uh, impressive at times. Like Indiana's got a couple guys. Casey's and, a dude. Uh, that front, linebacker man, is a Aaron. dude, man. That guy had, he, he's that guy a had dude. A game. <laughs> that guy had a game. Like the, and we'll talk about that more, I guess, in the offensive line part. But he didn't also really affect Kama Court all that much, though. And like, a lot of the, what we're talking about is, is sort of independent of what Indiana was doing defensively. It was the play unfolds, and it's being defended, sure, but then like, what decision are you making between A, B, and C? And I think there were times where he picked the right one and, and whistled it. I think there were times he picked the right one, the right one and maybe didn't get the throw he wanted. I think there were times where he, as you said before, even if you're making the right call, it's not the optimal call, uh, the optimal read, the optimal decision. And there were times where he made the, the wrong decision. But that's true of uh, all quarterbacks to some extent. And it's just a matter of how much you whittling out the ones that you want back and and getting the ones that maybe in, in week one that you didn't see. Um, you do see them when it's week three and it's week seven and it's week nine. So again, just part of the process. But I think there's... I, I still think, you know, grading him as a C plus is not a a stellar grade by any means. But I think it also speaks to there being a a foundation within the play that we saw from him. He didn't fail, but it also he didn't necessarily excel. I'll let you go first. What's the best thing 
Kyle McCord did on Saturday. Yeah, I, I've been I've been going back and forth on that because I, I all along I thought it was the two the two throws over the middle. So this is different to you than the thing that might be his special trait. Yeah, because like the special thing is like, hmm. While this is just, this is more like a routine, he so, just did this well. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say either, I would say either of those over the middle throws that happened, I guess, in the what the third quarter, the one mm-hmm. that he he zipped into Fleming, the one that he threw up the seam to Stover. I think those were both. I mean, they've got to attack vertically, and he has to throw the ball with confidence, which I think he clearly has. I mean, you saw we saw a handful of throws where he's like, okay, I know I can. I've got an arm and I can use it. And I thought those were were two examples of that. Like, you know, as much as there were definitely some times where there seemed to be some safe choices, those were two times, especially the one to Fleming. Like that was not, uh, he wasn't wide open there. Like that was into Mm -hmm. some traffic and, um, and, and Fleming was in evil, even able to take that throw and then do something with it after the catch, which is another crucial part of being a quarterback is being able to, to, to make throws that can then become more than just what is at the point of, of the catch. So I would probably say one of e- either of those two. I thought the 24 yarder that got called back because Marvin Harrison stepped out of bounds was the best thing he did because he didn't wait. He wasn't late. He wasn't staring anything down. He didn't take, cause there was somebody else open too. Emeka Ibuka comes in motion and it's almost not really set. It almost could have been a penalty from the get-go because he's kind of moving when they snap the ball. But he's headed up the seam. So the from outside looking in, it looks like the whole point of this is it's too high safety. That's the look they want. Make that high safety make a decision. Are you going to take away Emeka Ibuka or are you going to take away Marvin Harrison Jr.? Whichever one you don't take away, that's who's getting the ball here. At least should get the ball. And then Julian Fleming is underneath just in case – they just play it. They just scheme it up well, and so maybe you just need a you need a, a safety valve there. The safety valve is open, and earlier in the game, Kyle McCord had been taking the safety valve. This time, he doesn't do it. He immediately locks in and makes sure that the safety doesn't move off of Marvin Harrison Jr. and he rips it in there. Great throw, great decision, great timing, and he didn't wait on anything. And that's why I liked it because it wasn't special. To the point of Ryan, you don't have to do anything special there. Just do what you're supposed to do there, and then Marvin Harrison's going to catch the ball. Unfortunately, he just stepped out of bounds on that play. But I thought that was the best thing he did because it was the most on-schedule throw down the field that we saw where he was in connection with Marvin Harrison Jr. He, he made that safety freeze where he was, and he didn't think about it twice. He just went for it. So here's my special. You kind of brought it up. It's the... I, I wanted to decide between the Mayan Williams wheel route because everybody loves a good wheel route, but also it takes touch to throw that. So, But I didn't take that one. I took the Chip Chanum throw where he's kind of moving around in the pocket and whatnot because the offensive line just did not do its job here. And so I think Josh Simmons got beat and somebody else got beat up the middle. And so he evades all these guys and then makes the throw. He's got really special footwork. Some really, and I noticed that a couple of years ago, but Caleb Williams probably has the best footwork in college football right now, and it's kind of ridiculous what he does. But Kyle McCords is, is pretty elite, and we talked about this. Andrew brought this up. There's All sacks are not created equal. Sometimes it's on the quarterback. Sometimes it's on the offensive line. 
There were maybe three sacks that should have happened in this game because the offensive line didn't do its job. But Kyle McCord did what he needed to do to evade some guys and make sure it wasn't a sack. And then he moved the ball down the field. I think that's special because we saw how valuable that was for C.J. Stroud against Georgia on two of his touchdowns, making Jalen Carter miss. When your offensive line just gets beat by a better off defensive lineman, it happens. And it doesn't matter because the footwork is so there and you keep your eyes downfield, you don't run, and it ends up being a large strike down the field. It didn't gain heavy yards against Indiana, but that's something that's going to matter when you're playing Penn State and the defense they have. If you play Georgia, if you play Alabama, you play Michigan, that's special to me because that's the type of special stuff we were seeing from C.J. Stroud in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, and you know, if people remember I wrote a, a piece on Comicord that went back to going back to the spring. It was kind of a you know how he got to that point, and one of the things that happened for him as a prospect was getting into the uh, in high school was feeling like he hit a wall a little bit mm-hmm. as far as his development. And one of the things that they specifically went and worked on with him was. How do you, you know, go beyond just being a pocket passer? What is, how, how are you excelling outside the pocket? How are you doing the off-platform stuff? And footwork is so critical to that. And, and how you, you know, turning your hips and, and getting out and getting your feet planted and all that stuff. Like that, that stuff that's, that's critical to, to being successful there. Because it's not, it's one of those things where it, it has to look more uh, wild and loose than it actually is. It still is is still is based in in fundamentals. So I think mm-hmm. that's a good pick. I think I would actually pick the wheel route though, <laughs> because <laughs> I think I keep going back to something that Ryan Day said on his radio show last week, which was they don't necessarily they don't need these guys to go out and make incredible plays. They have to go out and manage the offense as it's designed, manage the plays as they're designed, and that may sound like they're asking for a game manager. I don't because he's well, he literally used the word manage, but I actually don't think that that's what that necessarily means. I think mm-hmm. it means this offense as it's designed is going to ask you to make NFL throws and just we we've we've taught you how to make NFL throws. So mm-hmm. play discipline, play fundamentally sound and make NFL throws. And that isn't the kind of NFL throw like you know, the Justin Fields throwing from the one hash to the, the what do I say, throwing from the far hash to the far sideline or whatever um, on those bullets that, that Doug always used to talk about. And it's not C.J. Stroud and some of the things he used to do vertically. It still involves a lot of precision and touch and feel mm-hmm. for the game. And it, 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 I thought it was a moment where you saw where three years of being in the program pays off a little bit because I'm sure he's you know repped that throw now hundreds and hundreds of times over the past going on three years and those things are crucial it doesn't always have to be loud and with high velocity to be considered a high um a, a what I would say like a, a a top shelf throw and I thought that was an example of that it, it involves having to have a feel for your receiver and having a feel for just a, a, that that presence on the field. And I thought that was a good example of that. And I think that could be end up being his special trait that it's it's not quite to the same, not quite in the same way that Stroud was, because Stroud, as you were saying before, it was his the way he saw the field and the way he could kind of visualize things was maybe his 
special trait. And and I don't know that McCord quite has that, or at least has it yet. But as far as what could be his special trait for this year, it's like who most reliably and consistently executes the best option on, on of this offense. But he's not there yet. Like as we're saying before, mm-hmm. like he's got to get to that. But that's a that's a sign that he could get to that. I thought what's interesting is a lot of the plays we've been talking about, they came in moments they needed them. Absolutely. Like that Mayan Williams thing is a fourth down play. That chip training thing, I think it was a third down play or a fourth down play. Like these are late. It's like you have to have this or you're, ha- you're getting off the field type of plays in this situation. And we'll get into that in the second part of this of this conversation here. So we're, we'll take a break there. I, I think we're both, he was fine. He had some moments that made you feel like, okay, there's something there, but <laughs> it probably needs to take a jump in week two. And it probably should, it will, because it's, well, a, it's a less lower level of comp- competition. But it's a chance, it's, it's not even so much about, it's a, a chance to for him to build confidence. Because I thought when they were going tempo and going quick with it, and he was in rhythm out there, that's when you saw a lot of those throws and decisions start to happen. While early on in the game, it was a little more hesitant to do some stuff. I don't know what to think about Youngstown State. This seems like it, 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 it no, but like, listen, like this seems no, it's like it's true. going to, it's going to be like, it, this could be one of the preseason scrimmages that we didn't get to watch is basically what we're going to get to watch next week yeah. to some extent, except their defenses won't be as good as, as the defense mm-hmm. that, that Ohio State's first team would have had to go against in said scrimmage. So that's probably not even fair. And it's, it's why I still think I'm, I'm really intrigued, like give Devin Brown, you know, he, you know, Ryan Day said after this game, oh, he probably would have played like the third series. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you really are going to go with Kyle McCord, then I don't see any danger in just giving him the third series of this next game. There's, yeah. there's, especially if you, if like Kyle McCord goes touchdown, touchdown. If Kyle McCord goes touchdown, touchdown, drives for touchdowns, even if he isn't throwing them, uh, mm-hmm. drives for touchdowns, then. Give, and then Devin Brown gets that third series, and let's see what he really does with the first offense against a first defense, even if it's Youngstown State's defense, and and get that on film and let him build off that too. Because again, the the whole even if you're sticking with Comic Court, even if you already decided the Comic Court starting against Notre Dame, then you still want Devin Brown to get that experience and have that film to build on himself for when you need him if something happens with Comic Court. That's the, been the whole purpose of this all along is to develop two championship caliber starting quarterbacks. So you, I think they've got to be a little bit more forceful about getting Devin Brown more of that look. I don't see the downside. I only see, I honestly think one of them should play the whole first quarter and the other one should play the whole second quarter. Cause the score does not matter. It does, The fact that one gets to be in the game when it's zero, zero is irrelevant. It might as well already be 30 to zero when regardless of who's in the game. We'll take a break there. When we come back, we'll get into some of the reasons why Devin Brown didn't play more because it had to do with nothing about what Kyle McCord was doing and a lot of what this offensive line was doing. So we'll get into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. 
a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. A lot of texts were going out Saturday. Nathan sent some texts out on Sunday. There will maybe not be as many texts on Labor Day. Knocks on wood. But the rest of the week, there will be texts, and there's a two-week free trial. Listen, that gets you through the Youngstown State game, and it gets you through the Western Kentucky game, plus the Sunday. Two-week free trial. Sign up for the text. It's a great time. We have a great time. The text. 614-350-3315. I was say, by the way, this was actually kind of a quiet Sunday. I, I did text out a couple times of some just some mm-hmm. thoughts I was having while doing the rewatch. But usually, like when the AP poll drops, the first thing I'm doing it's is true. texting it. It's not I'm writing and putting it on YouTube. It goes down on text. When the, the line for the game comes out, the betting line, that's true. what I'm texting about and giving some context on that, trying to. It's just that this year, this is our first, our what do I say? It's the it's the front line. It's like it's our first contact with everybody. And um, I just, I think it's worth it. Give us a try. You will not regret signing up for the text. And even if you do, it's easy to stop. You literally just text top. Yeah, you can't regret it. You can't regret it. You can't. You can't. So, Nathan, I'm I'm looking it up here. Ohio State was 2 of 12 on third down. And the reason why I want to have the offensive line conversation around third down, because this is really a why can't they get two yards conversation. So... Of those third downs, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of them were third and five or less. And I'm just going to run through them because it was, I actually like rewinded each of them so many times and was just wondering what is happening here. And two of them, I would be like, why didn't you just run the fourth down play as your third down play? Because the fourth down play was actually pretty good, even if one of them led to an interception. But that's just because, you know, Chip Chandler got. You know, tripped over. So the first one, it's third and three, and they run Trey Anderson. And he gets it. 19 yards. Cool. You can run the ball. The second one is third and two. They run Trey again, and they don't get it. And then they go forward on fourth down because they're in plus territory. And that's when they hit G. Scott in the flat, and he gets the first down. The third one, third and two again. I don't know how this team keeps ending up in third and two, but here we are. They run Mayan. Don't get it. That's when they come with the interception on the fourth on the fourth down play where it's clearly supposed to go to chip training when he gets flipped over. Then the f- fifth one, the f- fifth third down. So the third one was not a, a third and five or less situation. So the fifth third and five situation is third and one, and this is when Devin Brown is in the game, and they send him on the QB keeper, and he doesn't get it, so they punt. Then they – the. Then the next third down one is the third and long situation. And then the seventh one, third and three, pass to a Mecca. That's the play where I mentioned it earlier. He hits a Mecca in the flat when Marvin Harrison had one deep. So this is a chance to get a touchdown, but instead he takes the safe route so they don't get a first down in that situation. And they punt again. Third, The next one is the third and five where it's coming off the throw to Julian Fleming. And, it's the, and then they hit Marvin Harrison deep, and that's the DPI. So, cool, that works in your favor. But that's the f- second one so far of these third and short situations that has worked. It's because you threw the ball down the field. The ninth one, this is in the red zone. It's third and goal. You're on the four, 
four-yard line. This is the keeper we talked about earlier for Kyle McCord, where that's on him. That's not on the offensive line. Everybody did their job. He just didn't read it the right way because he made a bad decision. So, no, they don't get it. So, once again, tenth one, third and five. They run it with Chip. He gets stopped behind the line of scrimmage, and they lose four yards. And then the wheel route to mine Williams. So, once again, why didn't you just run that on third down? Because it worked for you instead of getting to fourth down. And then the final one is a third and four where, I don't know, they threw the ball this time around, and they just didn't complete it to Julian Fleming, so they kicked the field goal in that situation. So nine times it's third and five or less, and you complete two of them. This is an issue, Nathan. What is happening here? Why is this still a problem a year later? Two years later. I mean, let's go back to the start of the second half of the 2021 Michigan game. Like, this isn't just a one-year problem or a one-plus-year problem. And so I was struck by two things. And actually, by my count, there was one of seven on third down when it was third and four or fewer. So if you, mm. go, if you, take, if you go down inside of five to four, it was one of seven mm-hmm. on third and four or fewer. I think that's correct. Uh, that is almost that is a staggering stat. And I two things keep jumping out at me. Number one, we already mentioned uh, there were some times where like Aaron Casey was was just coming like it, they, they had mm-hmm. it blocked and then he just shoots a gap and, and hits a guy and takes him down. Yeah. And now now having said that, I think that Indiana was able to play with a certain aggression against the run on defense because maybe Ohio State wasn't letting it loose, whether that's by play call, whether that's by common core decision, that the, the the vertical threat wasn't quite there enough. And that sounds like such mm-hmm. a bizarre thing to say against with a team that's got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka. But if if I'm Indiana and I'm Matt Guerrieri and, and Tom Allen and the rest of that defensive staff, maybe that's how I would have done it too. I would have maybe come in and said, look, let the quarterback prove he's going to hit those tougher shots and have the linebacker Casey kind of be able to hang in there and shoot the gaps. Like, I guess that makes some sense, but I definitely noticed him just making plays that definitely, there was a percentage of the times that Ohio state failed on third down. That was him making plays or, or, um, or Carter on the other side. Like there was, Mm -hmm. there were some guys, but the other thing, and I texted this to our people on Sunday is I, I was trying to put myself in the, because when I'm watching a game, I'm I'm probably watching it too. I watch it very much from just a, an analytical standpoint. And as I'm rewatching, sometimes I try to put myself in the mind of a fan who's watching this and experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking to myself that like Ohio State fans have to be just pulling their hair out a little bit on these third down situations. Because when Ohio State is going like double tight with a fullback in these short yarded situations, going with these like jumbo packages where they're bringing mm-hmm. in Luke Montgomery in the 98 jersey to help defend in some of these short yardage, third and one, second and one, third and two, whatever. It's just so predictable what they're going to do with the ball there as you're mm-hmm. getting, as you're alluding to. So it's both. So I think it's both frustrating that it's predictable and it doesn't work, but then it has to also be frustrating that you're like, wait a second, we're Ohio State, they're Indiana. What? Like, why aren't we getting third and two with our jumbo package more often than we are against? And now f- add team name in here because it isn't just, like we said, a one-year thing. It, it, it's it been going on now for a couple of years. And it isn't always with the jumbo packages that they're doing like third and short. But it, it often is, and it just seems like such a predictable 
play calling scenario. And I would understand why Ryan Day is frustrated by both being like, well, okay, yes, we could be more creative and pick something that's maybe lower percentage, but I'm putting out a high, I'm picking a, a well-protected scheme in a high percentage play call and we're just not executing it. I get why he's a little bit frustrated there, but I don't know that he's necessarily embracing yet the um, the role that the predictability is playing in that. So uh, that's just from how I see it from the outside. I am far from alone at seeing it that way from the outside. If you were to listen to, I think, podcasts across this beat, this has been something that's been talked about now for a while, and um, I, I, we'll see how Ryan Day responds on Tuesday. I'm sure he's going to get some calls, some questions about this, and I I don't understand why they aren't just a little bit more. The word liberal. you're looking for is creative. Well, creative, yeah, I suppose, but there's a certain creativity that goes into. I mean, w- listen, it should have looked creative to us to see like. Stover and G Scott and then Chip Trainum's all of a sudden in the game are like, wait a second, how many running backs are on the field? So okay. Yes. So that that was creative. But those were still that's still the third and short packages that aren't executing. So my point is it's not it's 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 creativity. I don't know why they're not zigging when other people expect them to zag. It seems like they're trying to go out and just zag with a capital Z and say, we're gonna just put the most power, we're gonna have the most the most emphatic zag you've ever seen, and it's going to get these two yards. And I think it should more often. That is itself is a problem, but I think you've also got to come up with a, a wrinkle. And the, like the the G Scott going in motion and just floating it out to him was a wrinkle. The wheel route is mm-hmm. a wrinkle. Like they seem like they want to be. They'll be creative on fourth down, but I think, and and it's it's good that they're executing on fourth down. They were two or three on fourth down, but you got to loosen things up a little bit on third down. And I, Again, putting myself in the brain of a fan, I would feel I would be wondering right now because we talked about this coming into the season, right? Ryan Day talking about how the mindset changed between Michigan and Georgia, and you could go into Georgia playing looser and and playing confident, and maybe you take some chances. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I would imagine if there are fans out there who think they didn't see that on Sunday, and it's not a completely fair comparison because. You didn't have a veteran presence at quarterback in this game the way you did with C.J. Stroud. In term, and by veteran, I mean like game battle tested. I mean, Comacord is the same year stage, but not doesn't have nearly as much game experience under his belt. You've got a much less reliable offensive line, obviously, at this point. So all those things are true, but I just think they got to do something that makes you say, wow, a little bit on third down once in a while. Instead of it seems like taking the trying to just power through every time and having that come up short. So, so, so often I thought they were aggressive in the passing game. Kyle McCord just wasn't always willing to take it. And that's on, as you already mentioned, a non experienced starting quarterback. That's going to happen. Kyle McCord probably doesn't make the same reads in that Georgia game that CJ Stroud made. That's just, that's fact right now. That's just fact. I thought the passing game was creative. I thought the chip training wrinkle was interesting because it's Mitch Rossi, more athletic. 
Let's see what it's happens. Not, with it. It, but, but it's not Mitch Rossi because Mitch Rossi didn't take handoffs. Like, that's what I'm saying. You can do more. You can, yeah. that's what, you can I, do more with the guy who's playing that role now because he's more. It's more than just oh, we'll randomly hand it off to Mitch Rossi at the one yard line for a touchdown. They can run that play at like the 17 yard line because Chip Tranum yeah. is a more athletic. So there's more aspects to that set of plays that you can run because Chip Tranum is just more athletic than Mitch Rossi. I thought that was interesting. My problem with the jumbo package is, and you alluded to it, they always run it inside. When they run that, when they have that, yeah, leak, like play action, leak it to somebody. So somebody has something. That's the problem. Ryan Day has said this: if you're gonna have a formation, you gotta have variations to run off of it, so it doesn't get stagnant. But when they come out and whoever the true freshman offensive lineman that's playing well that he deserves to play, whether it's Donovan Jackson in 21 or it's Josh Fryer as an upperclassman doing it last year, and now Luke Montgomery is doing it. When you see that weird jersey number come in the game and join the offensive line, everybody knows what you're doing. When you go pistol, everybody knows it's either play action or inside zone or an out or a stretch play because that's really the only place you run out of is pistol and under center. You don't do a lot of running when it's just normal shotgun. That's, I think, where a lot of people are starting to have an issue here is when it feels like you put a personnel on the field and everybody knows what you're doing. And I understand Justin Fry said this when he got hired of we have to be able to run the ball when everybody in the stadium knows we're running the ball. Well, you're now what they play last year, 13 games, 13 games. So 14 games into Justin Fry, the offensive line coach, offensive coordinator, helping out with the run game. And you've had a lot of plays where everybody knew you're running the ball and you didn't get it. So have some variation. I thought they showed the variation on fourth down. How about not get your back put up against the wall and run it on third down? Because I think it works out just as well on third down when a team is coming out in the exact same set to stop what you just put on the field. Play action is going to be a big part of this, um, what they can do with Kyle McCord, I think. Like, and mm-hmm. we've had discussions on the pod before about how critical, it, whether it really is critical that you run the ball in order to set up play action. But I, it, it can't hurt. And in the running game as much as it, it had some issues because of the offensive line, I thought you also saw some some really nice flashes from Chip Trainum, even from Trevion Henderson it, it, at times. So if if that can really stabilize and become a little bit more consistent, uh, I think you're going to see some really interesting things happen in the, the play action. Some of Kyle McCord's better numbers, some of his better moments from this game were out of play action. So mm-hmm. I, I think he seems very comfortable in that. Ryan Day has always loved play action. They used to you use it to great effect with Justin Fields back in the day. And I would imagine that you're going to see them try to use that more as as this season goes on. Play action bootleg might be because the offensive line struggled. And I, the answer isn't let's just move Donovan Jackson to left tackle because he wasn't great either. In fact, he was the lowest graded offensive lineman. Yeah. And the in the in the you know so it, it wasn't just it per, wasn't just Josh per Simmons fo- per pro football focus per, yeah per pro Carson Hinsman was the highest graded offensive lineman per PFF but Donovan Jackson was the lowest graded one so it's he's he was part of the problem on Saturday but I do think until that offensive line gets some cohesion and we have to remember that Josh Simmons played right tackle before he got here so he is making a transition as well so as they're getting comfortable. I think Ryan Day is going to have to move the pocket, 
regardless of if it's Kyle McCord or Devin Brown out there. And Kyle McCord showed when you get him on the move on those bootlegs, where it also makes his reads easier because you're taking away half of the field. And now you're just – it's levels reads. And I think he did a good job reading those plays while also not have it's, – it's great that he has the footwork that he has and he can evade guys. But when you're trying to stay on schedule, it's a great way to get the ball to Cade Stover. It's a great way to get the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr. Great way to get the ball to Emeka Ibuka without having to put so much on Kyle McCord's plate because it's a very easy levels read in those situations. This is um, – this strays from I think where we want to be right now, but it's a point I wanted to make because it's a thought that I definitely had watching the game. And it, it, it isn't really about Kyle McCord, but we had heard so much about Marvin Harrison Jr. in the slot, but they played so much 12 personnel that we didn't get to see mm-hmm. hardly any Marvin Harrison Jr. in the slot. I think there might have been one snap when I went back through, one or two that he played in what I would call the, the slot. And he was like blocking back, on that play. I'm pretty sure. Back, yeah. And I was thinking back to 2020 with Garrett Wilson in the slot and really other years you would see them do this with him, but he ran those routes that were like, I I don't even know how to, what they're technically called, but like where you're sort of like gradually, you're gradually deepening as you're running these sort of horizontal routes. And um, I, I think they're that's something that mesh routes. Right. But I mean, they're, they're, they're yeah. sort of, I didn't want to they're call it a mesh of, route. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, and like that, I thought that element I thought was missing. I thought the if if they can find a way to get Marvin Harrison to run some of those Garrett Wilson kind of routes, then I think that is going to open some things up too. But if they're going to play this much 12 personnel, and maybe if they feel like they have to play this much 12 personnel because of the offensive line situation, and, and Ryan Day, when I brought that up in the spring, kind of dismissed it when I talked to him about it. But uh, I don't know. It sure seemed like they... We're playing a lot mm-hmm. of 12, and they were putting two tight ends on the same side of the field, maybe on Josh Simmons' side of the field to try to, like, shore that up. And sometimes they, even that didn't work. Like, mm-hmm. um, so I, if if they're going to, like, if you're going to do that, if you're going to play that much 12 personnel, then you can't be having these short yardage situations, that these short yardage failures, because you, you are, in effect, like, taking off a – you have to find a way to stay creative within those those short yardage situations because it, you you've you've reduced the creativity of your um, you, the explosiveness anyway of your personnel on those plays. They did play a lot of twelve personnel. They played a lot of twelve, and they had a lot of on run plays motion to try to move the defense. And it just none of it worked because Aaron Casey was like a bat out of hell on some of those plays. But it lo- it feels like they're going to spend the first three weeks trying to you know handicap this offensive line until it gets right, which means a lot of 12 personnel, which takes away some explosiveness from these receivers. If Because it was a combination of, to go back to the earlier point with the people who felt like they weren't as creative. I think the difference between Georgia and this game is Georgia's opponent who is not afraid to play you straight up. So you can do a little bit more. They, I said it after the game, but then I, I really enforced it to myself after I rewatched it. Indiana decided that we're going to lose this game, but we're not going to be on Marvin Harrison Jr.'s highlight tape in the process. And so it was a lot of too high safety, a lot of double Marvin Harrison Jr., a lot of just like, we don't want to lose the Marvin Harrison Jr. because we just don't want to lose the Marvin Harrison Jr., which is what made those, when you missed him, stand out that much more with Kyle McCord because it's like, man, Marvin's had to wait like 12 snaps to get an opportunity where he could 
realistically get the ball here, he should probably get it. And it's what's going to make the running game, especially on third down short yardage situation, that much more important because you got to force teams to decide that they can't just sell out on the idea of we don't want to be on Marvin Harrison Jr.'s highlight tape. And that's what Indiana did. That's what – I mean, Youngstown State's not going to be able to do it as successfully because they're Youngstown State. But I would assume Western Kentucky tries to do it. I would assume Notre Dame tries to do it. And I would assume really every team up until Penn State has this same philosophy of – Everybody else can beat us but Marvin Harrison Jr. And so how does Ryan Day, how does Justin Fry, how does Brian Hartline, how does Tony Alford, how does this offense combat that? To one, make sure he stays involved so there's not another game where he's two for eight on targets, but also other parts are effective that allows him to be freed up a little bit more. I feel it was visceral. Like how how much if I was a fan, if, if I was watching that game and was just like, oh, another inside zone, right? If it's predictable for schlubs like me, then it's, I think, very predictable for people like even the Tom Allens of the world, let alone the the, the better programs Ohio State's going to face this year. So at some point, I think they've just got to they've got to do something else there. Um, and I don't know if that's where the the influence of the other people that are helping call plays can come in. If that's where Heartline maybe has some influence. If that's where um, Keenan Bailey has some influence. Or if even the guys who are the more run-oriented guys have, you know, then you go solve this. Like you, you, you know, it's it's the the offensive line and the running backs that aren't necessarily executing in those situations. If they're the ones who are who are pushing for that, then they need to solve that. So I'll say it used to give us a champions list every week. They stopped doing it last year for. I joked that they lost to Michigan and they stopped giving us information. Well, that's kind of what happened. They stopped giving it to us after the Michigan loss. So we're going to have our own champion. We're not going to do a whole champions list. That's ridiculous. But who was your offensive champion this week? Most impressive offensive guy. I'm going to go Chip Trainum. Mm-hmm. I'm tempted to say Cade Stover, uh, but Cade Stover had a bad holding penalty where he just got, <sighs> just got beat. I'm really... I still am kind of waiting for him to take that next step as a blocker and really like have that. If he, if he does that, then the presence that he has on, on games is really going to be palpable. It already is in a lot of ways, but I think that's still the one thing that is, is lacking a little bit. So I'm going to go with chip train him just because you have both the surprise element and the, and just the effectiveness element. I mean, it's another game. Mm-hmm. It, it, go back to the Michigan game last year. Like he, he proved himself in that game. Like, no, I'm, I'm still a running back. Like I can do this. And you saw some really nice burst from him. I thought, and and some of it came in the second half when the offensive line was blocking better, but I thought he did an effective job of hitting holes hard, getting to the outside with, you know, the speed that he has and, and just his, his all around kind of physical specimen shows up when you're out there playing. So, and then just the versatility that they're asking him, you know, to, to have some sort of tight endish moments to have those fullback moments to then just be a tailback. Like it's more than they ask of basically anybody in this offense. It's, it's, it's beyond what they would ask Xavier Johnson even to do. So that, that'll be my champion for this week. We saw 12, 13 and 22 and 10 personnel all in the same game. It was wonderful. I, I, I feel at peace in my heart with all the different personnel we saw on Saturday. I hope it continues throughout the year because it was wonderful. I'm also picking Chip Trainer because that was amazing. Everything about it was just like, okay, okay. Because it's, it's, 
the thing that made it for me was he got a handoff. Nice run on the handoff. And then the very next play, he's blocking for Mayan Williams on a touchdown run. It's a wrinkle that feels like it matters against Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and in a playoff game. You know, that's what I think makes it so important. Shout out to Jesse Mirko as well. He had 250-yard punts. So I just wanted to also throw that in there as well. But Chip Trainum is is undoubtedly the champion because that's that's they showed that week one for a reason. They might not show it again for the next two weeks because they don't have to, but that's going to come up again because the Mitch Rossi role on steroids. And I think that's what I like about it is because there's more you can do with it because this is no longer a guy where it's like, no, we just need a guy who who can block. No, we're going to give this guy the ball. We're going to line him up as a fullback. We're going to line him up as a running back. I think there was a play where he was the fullback and Travion Henderson was out wide and they brought Travion on an end around. It's just he allows you to do so much because he's physically a lot bigger than the rest of the running backs while not sacrificing any of the athleticism that goes along with it. And and I just I think it's so different that I I would not even bring Mitch Rossi's name up in describing mm. what Chip Trainum does for this team now. Like that's fair. It's just Mitch Rossi was a blocker and it, it was a good blocker, yeah. but that's what he did for this team. Like he was a blocker, and Chip Trainum's not just a blocker. He does he's doing a lot more dynamic stuff than that. So it's you know we talked in the preseason about this running back room and how how they're gonna find touches for everybody, and we had sort of said like, well, you know, with Trainum, you know, he's gonna have a huge role on special teams. You don't have to necessarily find this big role in the offense for him to maybe still keep him, you know, satisfied with his role and and keeping him engaged. And then what do they do? They went out and like just made him every position on the offense. I think what's funny is the two most statistically productive people in this game showed, were our in-state kids who showed up here as linebackers. Hate <laughs> Stover almost had a hundred yards. <laughs> he was a linebacker when he got here, and Chip Trainum was a running back at Arizona State, but he was recruited at Ohio State to potentially play linebacker, and he transferred in as a linebacker. So I just think that's hilarious. We're gonna take one more, another break, and then when we come back, we're gonna flip it. We're gonna talk a little defense. We might not get as in-depth with the defense because they didn't play anybody good, so it's kind of hard to have a conversation about them. We might not be able to have an in-depth conversation about them for a couple weeks, but we do want to touch on that, so we'll do that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back. I mean, they held Indiana to three points. Kudos to them. I honestly, I, I want to save the deep dive on the defense until Western Kentucky, because I understand they're not the same talent level, but they're going to chuck it around enough that we're going to get a real gauge on the secondary, I think. Yeah. So I don't want to go deep dive into this. Who's your defensive champion? You know, I think I'm going to pick Josh Proctor. Um mm. 
he was not the defensive player of the week, by the way, for Ohio State. It was He's JT not. to a below out. But I, I, I mean, I'm definitely picking Josh Proctor for the what I thought was my favorite defensive play of the game, which was early in the game. They Indiana was running a lot of option stuff. They did an option pitch, and Proctor did two things. One was just beating the tight end uh, off mm-hmm. the block, and then coming up and like getting a tackle for loss, like sticking a guy for a tackle for loss, and. Just for a guy who last year had a season play out the way he did, where it was like one play, missed tackle, bench, and and we thought that might mm-hmm. be the last of Josh Proctor at Ohio State, and he comes back for this sixth year, and I still think there are changes and, and evolutions that are going to happen in that secondary, and as to who probably ends up maybe finishing the year at adjuster, I don't know if it'll be Josh Proctor playing all of the snaps there, the way he, he played the lion's share of them on Saturday. But that was just a, a good moment for a guy to come in and, 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 and prove himself not just to be stable, but to go out and make plays. And there were some other examples of that, but I, I would take Josh Proctor as my, uh, my champion for this week. The evolution he's talking about is freshman league Harford, who I did not realize, according well, to PFF, he, he played 25 snaps. But all, Jihad Carter obviously didn't play either, and maybe yeah. he's still a little banged up. But I did not realize Malik Harford played that much. I knew he played, but I thought it was closer to 10 snaps than it was 30. He played 25 snaps. He played a lot late. Like, he didn't play until yeah. the third quarter, I don't think. But then I, he, he played a lot late. Indiana wasn't going to threaten them, but he's a true freshman, and he's on the field in a real way with the game still, you know, two scores or whatever. I don't know. That says something to me. I, 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 it's definitely something we're aware of that, 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 that the time might be now for him. So I had three candidates and we're going to talk about them in a section anyway. So I'm just going to bring them all up. Caden Curry as the interior defensive end on the Rushman package. Interesting. He wreaks some havoc in there and he's a different type of body type. Denzel Burke had a really good game, but I think the Denzel Burke one was just more like, okay, cool. He's back on track. Now let's see it against some good football teams. I'm taking Jordan Hancock. According to PFF, he was the fourth highest rated defensive player, but he was the third, second highest among people who played at least 20 snaps. The highest was my call, which he's my call. We know what it is there. We've been hearing about Jordan Hancock for two years now, and we finally got to see it. Now we want to see him build on it, but they have a legitimate three-man cornerback rotation where you play two and you sit one. They started the game. It was Denzel Burke and J- Davison Igbenosin starting. They played the first two series, and then Jordan Hancock replaced Davison Igbenosin, and then Davison Igbenosin replaced Denzel Burke, and then on down the line, on down the line. Jordan Hancock got his hands on a lot of balls and played in a way that I can't think of off the top of my head who the best wide receiver that Ohio State's going to play this year is, but I'm not worried if I see Jordan Hancock covering that guy in the regular season. I'm not worried based off of what I saw. I saw instincts. I saw a guy breaking on some balls where if he's 0.2 seconds quicker, it's a pick. I saw a guy who could play press and off coverage. I almost... I um I went back a couple of times to watch the defense because I wanted to watch one individual and I I just watched all of his snaps and especially the passing snaps and there's some I I believe them a little bit more now when they would talk last year about how they were really missing part of their ceiling when they didn't have him now 
Now let's see if he can get into a rhythm and start doing it when they play better opponents down the line. Yeah, no, I thought he definitely had some standout moments. Uh, you know, Denzel Burke was – that's among the best games I've ever seen him play at mm-hmm. Ohio State. Um, people may remember that I was not um, critical of him as a freshman, but maybe like lukewarm on his greatness as a freshman mm-hmm. and kind of been waiting for that next step. And I thought you saw some signs of it this past weekend. And in Hancock, definitely coming in behind. And this is, again, all of this has to come with the caveat that you already put out there that Indiana has a very toast passing approach and it didn't want to throw the ball downfield and isn't, isn't, isn't challenging Ohio State very much there. But it's, again, there were definitely some teams that are of, were of roughly Indiana's quality last year as, as passing teams. Uh, maybe not, maybe not that bad, <laughs> but, but weren't they weren't great passing teams and looked like better passing teams um, or had more passing success because Ohio State's quarterback cornerbacks were kind of out to lunch at times last year. So it was definitely a confidence building weekend for the cornerbacks. And I expect them to, to keep building off of that. Probably the exception being, I thought the worst play for the defense oh. was Davis and Igmanosin's pass interference on fourth and three where the ball was going to be like five yards short of the of the receiver and he just came in and mugged the guy over the back in in the most blatant pass interference call like that might stand up that might stand up as like the most blatant uh, state pi of the year so that one i was i i thought maybe he would be a little bit more I think he might be a little more disciplined. I thought he might be a little cleaner with it than he looked in this first game. So I think he's got to clean that up. But, it, you know, it could be some some first day in the Big Ten jitters, I suppose. Hey, you don't – you mean, do they have venues like Memorial Stadium and the SEC? I mean, come on. That was awful. That was awful. That was awful. Also, what made it worse is he did the typical DB. Like, who, me? Are you serious? You're calling this on me? I think he, he's a physical corner. And I think we noticed that back in the spring. Yep. But also there is there's some backlash to that. It's a fine line. I don't think but, I don't think that's his last DPI this year. I think he might have a couple no, of those no. just because he's he's physical no, no. out there. I and, and, and you, you take you take good with the bad with with a lot yeah. of DBs, right? Like we we, yeah. we, we took Lathan Ransom had that um had that what was it what did he get called for? Was it a late hit or Oh the, uh, yeah, yeah, the unnecessary oh, roughness where it's like, the defenseless receiver. Yeah. Yeah, and and it was nothing dirty. It was just the no. way Lathan Ransom plays, and you're like, you're like, oh yeah, he's good for about one of those a month or something. Like, you yeah. know, it's it's yeah, yeah, he's yeah. going to do a lot of really 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 good things for you in a package that sometimes has a, occasional issues like that. You're gonna and you just hope they don't happen mm-hmm. at the, the wrong time. So um, you try to clean them up as best you can, but sometimes you you take the bad with the good because the good is. I thought he was. A- he had four tackles. I thought he was excellent as a tackle out there on the perimeter as well. Indiana threw it 21 times, and 12 of them came in the fourth quarter when they had no choice but to. So yeah. we don't have a lot to go off of here. I mean, we wouldn't be Buckeye Talk if we don't mention. We wouldn't be members of the Ohio State beat <laughs> if we didn't mention number six. Yeah. Who, I mean, I, was, there was really good. He looked yeah. really good. And outside of, I noticed it early that it was third and two. And then Indiana got a penalty, and then it went to third and seven, and they took him off the field, and they put Cameron Martinez out there. And so Mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, cool. They're not ready for him to be the answer to every little problem that shows up uh, for Ohio State's defense. They're still going to have some matchups. 
Except they didn't go to Cam Martinez really that much more in the game. <laughs> they just kind of stuck. Well, but also, Indiana was running triple option dumb stuff yeah. for most of the game. So I want to see – but that that first series where they went to third and seven and they took him off the field and put Cameron Martinez out there, I think that's notable because when they play to Indiana, if it's third and nine and you know Sam Hartman's dropping back, I think it might be similar. And I think the only maybe. game where it won't be similar – yeah, maybe because that will be four weeks into him playing. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable. But I, 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 yeah, I, right I think now, the question, the question yeah, there will be whether he comes off the field. Like I, I yeah. the Cam Martinez part of it, I understand the question will be yeah. whether Sonny Styles comes off the field because then it's it's like does he go back and Josh Proctor comes off the field? That's I think the interesting yeah. thing there, and maybe. But I also think there's games out there where they don't take any of the safeties off; they just stay in that base. Like if they play Georgia and it's third and nine, they're just going to keep Sonny out there, and he's just going to cover Brock Bowers. Yeah, and but yeah, personnel is going to dictate some of that because if, yeah. if you've got a tight end that's that good on the field at all times, then that's the guy you probably want matching up with him. And uh, you know, all the uh, I was watching this game, rewatching this game thinking back to the spring and how we had all these conversations about like, so wait, is he an adjuster? Like they, or like, is he a bandit? They haven't played behind Lathan mm-hmm. ransom. So is that what they think he is? And like, is that where they're going to, he's going to stay there. And then obviously this developed and progressed to the point where he now is the nickel safety, but the nickel safety, the way he plays it didn't remind me of Tanner McAllister. It really no. reminded me more of Pete Werner in 2019. It was more reminiscent, and some of this is just because he's a bigger dude and looks mm-hmm. more like you could get away with being called a linebacker almost if you squint out there. So it looked more Sam linebacker-ish at times, and also also because of the way Indiana plays. So you're keeping that guy in the box, keeping him closer to the ball, keeping him more in line with the linebackers. It'll look different when they play other, and, and Notre Dame will be an example, but, but Western Kentucky too. I think he'll probably be spread out and look differently when they have that matchup. But it's just, it was refreshing because I think what we've all been waiting for is when Ohio state gets the defensive player that his position is just him. I know we've people who've heard this have heard me say a million times, like it's, it's if, if they can get to that place and he's, and he can play at an extremely high level, it really makes your defense very compelling. And I think that among other developments that are happening with this defense and guys getting better all over the place, him kind of making that transformation is pretty intriguing. And I want to see, I want to see what it looks like in two weeks against Western Kentucky. Yeah. Cause I mean, Jim Knowles said he can play Sam. So that's, I mean, if this was a year that's ago, essentially what they, it was. Yeah. Yeah. If this was a year ago, they take Tanner McAllister off the field and they put Cody Simon out there probably. And it's a, it was what Indiana was doing early on yeah. in that game where it was HB dive and triple option the entire game. They probably do that. And you don't have to do that in this situation. So it's – we're going to learn so much from Western Kentucky, which is something I never thought I would say on this podcast, but we are because it's a very different style of offense that's going to spread you out a little bit more. So how does Ohio State try to match up with that? Because what does that mean when they play a team who's actually good enough to beat them? This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Simple answer. And it's not fair, but it's the whole point of why I'm asking the question every single week. I want it to evolve every week. Did this look like a college football playoff caliber team? I would still say yes, because you still have you still have unutilized explosiveness in this offense. And it's just a matter mm-hmm. of whether you think it was underutilized or unutilized because of systemic flaws or it was just one of those things. And I think I tend to lean towards one of those things, especially when you go back to the, what I said at the start. You really you really look for the the the. The production was there from Marvin Harrison Jr. that wasn't showing up in the box score. Um, the, the production, the air yards that were there for Kamakore that weren't showing up in the box score. It looks a little bit more like what you would have thought. 23 points against Indiana is not enough. They do have to be better. But the defense was at least as good as we thought. And mm-hmm. I think we still, if we thought the collection of talent was playoff caliber before this game, they didn't lose any of those players. Like the, It's still the same collection of talent. So I would still say yes. I would not have them in my top four right now, I don't think. But I think it's still a – because I think there are more than four teams that you would talk about being yeah. playoff caliber at this point. Like Colorado. They look playoff caliber after getting that ranked win. I mean, you'd have to <laughs> – if you did the playoffs this like, week, if you did a playoff ranking I'm putting them Colorado, in the top four. I think it would have to be – Colorado would have to be number one. Like if you're they voting on resume, yes. you're voting on resume, you're going on the road and beat a top 20 team. Like <laughs> – I probably yeah. put them number one. Yeah, they had easily. To, I mean, they gave up. They gave up a ton of points too. But like, still, yeah. But you know, we've seen playoff teams who give up a ton of points and they just get into the playoff, get their butts kicked. I'm saying yes as well, and it's because the offensive line worries me, but it worried me before they played a football game, and it's been worrying me for two and a half years. So my opinion on it didn't change. It's just is real now, and not just in theory. So let's give it some weeks. Let's see what happens in a couple of weeks here, and. Kyle McCord's flaws all made sense for where the season is, if that makes – if you get yeah. what I'm saying. If, if he was doing that – if he had that game in week five, when they, if, if they played Indiana in week five and he had that game, then my antennas would be up. But in week one, well, you missed some you, – you, you had some mistakes that can easily be cleaned up on a Sunday when you're watching film. And on a Tuesday practice, so I'm fine with it. And plus, we've been down this road before with C.J. Stroud. Yes, he had some injuries, but also he was not making big, good decisions all the time out there. It wasn't good football play. It wasn't Heisman-level football play. It wasn't playoff-caliber football play from the quarterback. And then we saw it get better as the season progressed. And so I think we all – not us because I think we have sound mind – a lot of us need to remind ourselves that this is what it looks like at square one when a guy is taking over a starting role. It's not perfect. It's going to have some bumps. It's going to have some moments where it's like, man, he missed a throw there. Man, he didn't maximize this year. Ooh, he threw a weird interception there. It'll get better. 
until it doesn't. But then uh, the track record at this point suggests that it will get better. And because of that, I'm with you. I wouldn't have them in my top four. I maybe would have them five just because some other teams kind of took care of business who were playoff teams and Ohio State really didn't do that in the same way. But I do think this is a playoff caliber team. I mean, listen, CJ Stroud last year against Notre Dame in the opener, 24-34, 223 yards. Mm-hmm. It's 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 same ballpark in terms of production. And if you want to make even another comparison, go back to the I – mean, you're saying this is what it looks like in your first game. Well, how about the fourth game of your second year as a starter when uh, Indiana made Justin Fields look pretty bad? Like, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not – this is not all a defense of the things that we already pointed out about that Common Core wants to be better at and can be better at and needs to be better at. It's just, again, you need to have perspective because after C.J. Stroud had that pretty, like, for him, kind of pedestrian game against Notre Dame, mm-hmm. like a month later, they're wiping the floor with Wisconsin and Iowa. So, again, that's it's, – it's all – it's all about having the perspective of what is this building towards and, and where is where is improvement happening? You know, with with go back to first year CJ Stroud, rough opener against Minnesota, but promising things in the opener. Then has mm-hmm. the game against Oregon where they lose that game, but that's not his fault. I mean, he threw the ball, had a he had to throw it a lot that game, but but made plays, I thought, at times in that game and and played pretty well, but was still coming into his own has the bad game against Tulsa because he's hurt, takes the week off and then comes back and just gets in a rhythm. And it finally clicks for him. And sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Now, if I'm an Ohio state fan, I'm out there listening to this. I'm saying, yeah, you skipped right over the point where he lost a game (laughs) and Ohio state can't lose a game and win the national championship. (laughs) And that might be true. true. So that's fair. They, they, they they're on a, they're on the clock to like figure some of these things out. Um, You know, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago. It was like, will Ohio state have the, when, how many games will Ohio State have the better quarterback in the game? And, you know, there's a streak going here. Like, it goes all the way back to, you would argue probably, you know, I know I know Justin Fields had a better game than Trevor Lawrence in the 2020 play, semifinal. Yeah. But I would still probably argue Trevor Lawrence is the better quarterback. So that was like the last time. And then, then Mac Jones, I would I would take Fields over Jones. So if you start counting there, that's the last time. That semifinal game was the last time someone would probably say that the other team had a better quarterback than Ohio State's quarterback. So that's a streak of 20-some games now. I don't know if that's still going to be the case. It might That might end at Notre Dame. But it also doesn't necessarily mean that Ohio State has to lose that game. That's true. Because even with Tanner Morgan... The case with him was just that he'd played more football than C.J. Stroud. Not that he was actually more talented than C.J. Stroud. Yeah, no, no, and, no. And, and I'm saying that you can, you have to, I'm saying like looking back at it, you would oh, say yeah, these yeah, things. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, Definitely looking yeah. back at it, you would say, well, of course, Shannon sure. Morgan wasn't a better quarterback than C.J. Stroud. But I think you, you could have even said it by the end of that night. You could have, yeah. Uh, probably by the end of the second quarter. But I still don't know what I'm going to name this pod, and that's fine. Maybe I'll... That's going to keep you guys interested. You can find out if Steven named his pod this week. And maybe he didn't name the pod this week, but then that just That's means you have to check out the pod next week. See if Monday means-ness. Ooh, what it means Mondays. Monday means business. Oh. We've got some options. Yeah, we do. So, to, listen, sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. I might reveal it on the text one day. Actually... Sign up for the text. I'm going to ask the texters what we should call this Monday pod. So if you want an input, sign up for the text, 
Oh, 614-350-3315. I almost said my own number again. I got to stop doing that because that's a whole other set of problems I don't want. That'll wrap up whatever we're going to call this pod. Andrew and I will be back on the Tuesday pod with another recruiting edition of that pod. And then it'll be Tuesday again. And we'll be talking to Ryan Day and we'll be in the thick of it preparing for Youngstown State. So for Nathan Baird, I'm Stephen Means. Have a happy Labor Day. And that was Buckeye Talk.